0: The Lord be with you. Let us pray, dear Lord God. We thank you so much for your uh, mercy. Your mercies are new every morning, and we thank you for the mercy that is uh, your revealed word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the gospel message. We thank you that uh, that it doesn't change, no matter how our lives change, no matter the ebb and flow or the up and the down. We pray, praise you, Lord, that your gospel. Um, supersedes all. And that, that it, whether in good times or in difficult times, you uh, have us in your hands. And uh, that by the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we, we pray now, Lord, as we turn to First Peter, that we would uh, have that message renewed to us. That it would, in fact, meet us right where we are. And, uh, and equip us for the week ahead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Alright. Well, glad to see you. We're looking at 1 Peter today. We're not going to look at 2 Peter, uh, but 1 Peter chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2. This is chapter 93 in the Essential 100. I want to uh, just show you a resource. This is called 1 Peter for You. Uh, And this is a really good series. Uh, They have about 15 of them out, it's very uh, accessible, popular level. Uh, so if you're looking to uh, go a little deeper in your personal study, but not wanting to know about what the Greek says and all that stuff, I think that this is... Um, I mean, you, you, you just want it to be written by someone who knows what the Greek says, right? You, um, and so that's this. Uh, there is, uh, it. is... Let's see, who's it, it's, uh It might be the Gospel Coalition. No, Oh, no, the Good Book Company. The Good Book Company. They're, it's an English company, I think. But most of, most of these are... Um, are by American authors. It doesn't matter, I guess, if they know the, if they know the deal. Uh, but there, I know there's like Daniel for you and Judges for you, and uh, there's a couple of Old Testament, and then there's several New Testament. I think Romans and Luke are both in two volumes. I think there's only one volume of John out. This for you series is is really good. It's not always the one I recommend because I'm just not as familiar with it, but I think it's a really good resource uh, for if for like for your Bible studies and, and things like that. So just wanted wanted to share that uh, with you. So Peter, Peter, the Apostle Peter, he is, as you know, very prominent in the Gospels, um, and and some sort, sometimes sort of a doof, right? It's a sort of a doof in the in the Gospels. Um, he is, he goes up on the mountain of Transfiguration and says, "Hey, let's just stay, and I'll build you some lean-tos, right? You know, and um, and he tells Jesus, um, you know, oh, we're not going to let you die, don't worry. You know, he, he denies Jesus three times. He is, of course, the one who confesses Jesus as the Christ first. Remember, Jesus gets so excited. Matthew chapter 16, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, uh, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Just you get so excited. And on this rock, I will build my church. You know, the name Peter means rock. And so, you can imagine, there's lots of debate. What is the rock? Is Peter himself the rock? Well, that's certainly what the, the Catholic Church says. He's the first pope, and he is, he's the one on whom the church is built. Um, the Protestants tend to say that it's the confession that Peter has made. You are the Christ. On that rock, I will build my church. Um, Peter can be a rock. I tend to lean, as you probably not a surprise to those of you who know me and know, uh, have heard my teaching, I, I think the confession is the rock on which the church is built that Jesus is the Christ? But it's interesting. So he denies Jesus three times, and then uh, after the resurrection, he's kind of puttering around on the on the on the beach. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, says, "Peter, do you love me, Lord? You, you know that I love you, as if to say, I, I'm." I'm really so, I mean, he doesn't say, I'm really sorry for what I did or what, uh, how I denied you, but I'm, I'm, you know that that doesn't mean I don't love you. And Jesus three times asks him, do you love me? Three times says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, uh, tend my flock. I can't remember the third one exactly, but he says, anyway, in the same number that, that, Jesus, that he denied Jesus, Jesus restores him and says the same thing he said to him, uh, when he first called him, he says, follow me. It's a really sweet, I mean, just a really wonderful scene there at the end of John. And um, Jesus and Peter on the beach. This beautiful restoration. And then Peter, uh, of course, preaches at Pentecost. And it's like a whole new Peter. Uh, he is has been restored by the risen Lord. He has been infused with the Holy Spirit. He preaches this unbelievable sermon where he quotes at length the prophet Joel. This is no longer a doof, right? He is, uh, he is really um, preaching in the power of the Spirit. Uh, it would have recalled, as he, as he quoted the prophet Joel, it would have recalled the prophets. And 3,000 people came to Christ that day, were baptized at His um, hands and at His word, And Because of the sermon that he preached. And he goes on in the first part of Acts to be uh, really the center. And it seems like this is, in fact, the rock on which Jesus is going to build his church. He goes uh, to preach to the Gentiles. He's the first one. Cornelius, you know, um, uh, that incredible passage in Acts chapter 10 where he sees the the cloth come down and it's a vision. And and with all the animals, oh Lord, I'm not going to eat what is... Unclean. Oh, don't! And God says, "Don't call what I have called clean unclean." And and um, and so he learns from that that actually God is actually talking about people. And he's so he goes to the Gentile, and the Holy Spirit falls out on on Cornelius and all his family, and and so Peter's really prominent, except that this uh this just scoundrel named Saul uh, gets converted uh, radically on the road to Damascus, and and. And Saul, who, be, who becomes Paul, uh, that's the Greek name, his Greek, would have been his Greek name, um, this belligerent, zealous Pharisee, incredibly well-educated, really comes to the fore. And the, 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 um, the, the retelling of the history of the church that we have really focuses from that point on, on, on the Apostle Paul, and less on Peter. Um, Peter kind of takes a back seat. To Paul, and, and yet it does seem very clear that Peter uh, continued to have a prominent and important ministry. Uh, it's not like Paul came on and he and Peter retired and went back to fishing, like he did right after the resurrection, right? He, he, um, uh, so he is writing to uh, churches throughout modern-day Turkey, so the regions of Asia. Asia was just this little bitty thing about the size of North Florida. I mean it was just not, not that big of a place um, like, like it is now. Um, but that's just the region that was called Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Pontus. So he's writing to Christians there. and, um, and he has two letters. So um, you can imagine, and you probably have heard that the authorship of these letters is sometimes disputed among scholars. It's what made it into scripture. There's no, there's no reason for us to debate that here. I happen to believe that it was the apostle Paul who wrote them, and he's probably writing from a uh, prison in Rome. Has anybody ever been to the prison in Rome, the Mamertine prison? It's on the, um, it's right there in the uh, forum area, the sort of ruins uh, in in Rome, and it's just this hole, uh, and. They would have had to been lowered or thrown down into this hole uh, at one point uh, back then. Now there's steps going down into it, and there is a there's a uh, like a spring which was said to have sprung at the prayer of Peter who was famished, uh, and and it's also said that Paul was in this same prison not at the same time. But that's where I, I've been there, and I always think about that place, and so I don't know exactly if that was the place that, that Peter wrote this letter from or, or what, but it, it was dank, for sure, dank. Um, and, and what is amazing is that he who was in prison and probably in terrible conditions is writing to these Christians who are in, uh, facing persecution throughout uh, the region of Asia and Pontus and Cappadocia and Galatia and encouraging them with this exuberance, the whole letter has this ex- exuberant, joyful tone. It's it's remarkable to think that Peter was in prison when he wrote this, and uh, just thinking about it, it kind of makes me hot. Um, the um, I don't know, it's just the humidity or something. I don't, pardon me. Um, so he is. Um, he, it is amazing when you consider that it was written by one who was suffering for the gospel to those who are suffering for the gospel. That he just has such um, ebul- what is what word ebullience is that the right word uh, yeah, happiness. You know he's just really uh, effervescent in, in his in his faith, but he's encouraging people who are who are suffering. Thank you, Junior Warden, You're doing a great job. All right, so. Um, I want to just kind of work through some of the verses uh, as, uh, as we come to this. I, I don't have uh, main topics and themes and stuff. I just want to kind of work through, if you have your Bible with you, or you can turn on your, you should have your Bible on your phone. You should just have your Bible on your phone. So we're in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, where he uh, introduces himself. I'm Peter, I'm writing to all the churches over there. Um, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's just how they wrote. They just... They would change topics in the middle of a sentence and just go. You know, like, and Paul does that. We see him doing that a lot. Blessed be God. That's, that's, where, that's where Peter starts. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. You would think that someone in the bottom of a dank prison cell would be crying out for mercy, but what he is proclaiming is that he has already received it, and so have these Christians who are, who are in difficulty. They've already received mercy. And he doesn't mean that, like you've gotten your portion, you know, be quiet. He means like it is you need to step into the mercy that you have already received. And what he says is that this mercy, you've been born again to a living hope. Can we talk about that phrase born again a little bit? It has sort of a freight in our culture, doesn't it? Um, I, I I can remember um, times where someone has asked me if I have been Born again, and you know it kind of annoys me. <laughs> I don't know, um, you know, like yes, and something you know what's what. what I, actually, it doesn't really. I mean, I like it when they, to talk about it. But what annoys me is that they don't believe me, and they want to keep talking about it. Oh yes, but what I mean by that? No, I've been born again. Like I, I, I love Jesus, and I believe that His sins atone. I mean, I mean, He didn't have sins. His cross atoned for my sin. And so, um, and, and so, I have. I mean, I. But it, I don't know about you, but when someone evangelizes me, asking me if I've been born again or whatever, I just want to run. <laughs> but, um, am, I, am I alone in that? Oh, surely, surely. Um, the uh, but, and and so we, you know, sometimes Episcopalians, Mainliners, whatever, we don't we don't talk about being born again that much. But born, I mean, it's a biblical phrase. It's not the Baptists didn't make it up. You know, it's a, it's a. It's a biblical phrase, and so we need to mean. We need number one, we need not be ashamed of it. Number two, we need to mean what they meant, what the Bible means by that. What what does what does it mean to be born again from a, in a in this biblical sense? I mean, this is the same word or word com. It's not exact, but it's the word same word family combination that Jesus uh, used when he spoke to uh, Nicodemus. Who said? remember? He said, "You must be born again." And Nicodemus says, "I can't crawl back into your mom's womb. Like what?" So, um, and and Jesus says, "Are you are you kidding me? You are the teacher of Israel. You don't understand these things. You must be born again." Jesus says it. Peter says it. What does it mean? To accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Okay, that is that is often what we. How, how we describe the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, well, Katie. To accept the Spirit that Jesus has left with us. To accept the Holy Spirit. That, that Jesus Great. says, I will leave you a helper. So we've, we've, when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit enters our, our life for sure. What else? How can we add to this understanding of being born again? We'll yeah, Bob. We'll be to be baptized, okay. That's the uh, outward invisible sign. We'll be Yes, yeah. So it's that time where your faith becomes your own, not just that of your parents. All right. I heard another comment over here. Well, oh, it's like Jesus told Nicodemus, it's like the wind. Nobody sees it coming. Yes. Or where it goes. But so is the Spirit. You know, it's, it's in you, and, and uh, you know, it's, it, it's just not part of this world. So it says it's really an outside force, like the wind, you know, coming upon you. Uh, I mean, yeah, and we could talk a lot, I think, about that. But it's it is um, it, to be born again, to be regenerated, uh, is to say I was dead in my trespasses, and now I'm alive in Christ Jesus. Uh, is the, is often the way Paul talks about it. It is um, that we have no, uh, or as the prayer book talks about it, we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. God has, has made us, declared us alive. Like, uh, like that passage, beautiful passage, Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. Can these bones live? And the Spirit comes upon the bones, and the, the sinews and the flesh just starts to form upon them, and, and all of a sudden these bones come together as skeletons, and that's where we get that head bone connected to the neck bone or whatever. And um, and, and then the, uh, and, and the, they become alive. Because the Spirit has taken what was dead and created it. I mean, that's the upside-down economy of God, that life comes after death, out of death. Life is spoken over death, and death is no more. And so we are born again. We were born the first time from nothingness into life. Uh, and that's not, a, that's not a political statement, but you know what I mean. And, uh, and then we are born uh, again in the Spirit. We are born of the Spirit. Uh, so we are born Again, a second time. Um, so he says that we are uh, born again to and in uh, to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. That's the new life we have. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So who gets an inheritance? All of them, I know. I know. Okay. So take it out of this. So. Who, who, When, when, who are you leaving an inheritance to? To your children. So this is a a family. uh, This is a family, uh, familial description. We have an inheritance because we have been declared to be God's children, by His grace, and it is kept in heaven. And it is uh, in the midst of everything that you are suffering, Christians there in Turkey and Christians here in Mandarin everything that, that is going on in your life as you as life sends you a right and then a left that you are uh, it, what you have received in Christ is unfading it is imperishable it cannot be killed it cannot be taken away from you it is uh, undefiled no matter how many people um, thrash against you whatever you suffer whatever you do to yourself and suffer the consequences of your own actions uh, what you have been declared is uh, cannot be taken away from you that is the nature of grace. God got you into this; He's the only one that could take you out, right? As, you know, Bill Cosby used to say that, You know, I I brought you into this world; I'll take you out. You know, talking to his children. And I guess I shouldn't quote Bill Cosby anymore. Sorry about that. Um, but I'm just working from the hip here, guys. All right. Um, but but it's uh, you know God's. It, it, somebody explained it to me. Like if what a comfort. This is this is, and I don't, I don't want to go too far down this road. But it, the, the doctrine of election it doesn't mean you don't have free will. But the doctrine of election says God chose you, which means you can't mess it up, right? Your salvation's His business. He He declared it to you. You just glory in it. When you do something stupid, ask forgiveness. But it's not it hadn't canceled anything because He's the one who put you in the. I mean, another preacher said you're we're caged by grace. You're locked in it, and you can't get out of it. That's cool, isn't it? Like you're caged by grace. It's undefiled. It's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Now I gotta tell you, they probably were like, "Hold on, we don't feel guarded right now." I, you know, we don't really know what the nature of the persecution was. Uh, my guess is that it was largely. Uh, economic, It might have been um, government, uh, uh, physical persecution, you know, uh, death or something like that. And certainly Christians uh, did go on to face that, do still in some sectors today. But what he's saying is, even then God's guarding your faith. Because they could kill you. It doesn't take God's love from you. You're still with Him and you're going to be with Him soon. Um, you're being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. At the last time, so some scholars think that means ready to be revealed at the point of conversion, out of the point of where that your faith does become your own, you accept Christ. But but most see this as at the last day, like you know your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're going to be ushered into the, the kingdom in a um, in a new way. Now when you when you die, you you go to be with Jesus, but there's a a fuller sort of end times, everyone then comes together, new heaven, new earth. We can talk about it another time. We probably will talk about that in a couple weeks when we talk about it. Revelation. So, um, all right. So he is um, he has kept all these things in heaven for you. You're being guarded through faith. It is revealed at the at the last time. Now he says that your faith is like gold. Your faith is, in fact, is more valuable, more precious than gold. Um, so he says you can actually rejoice in your sufferings. You don't have to rejoice that you are suffering. That seems crazy. But in the midst of your suffering, you can rejoice that no amount of suffering can take away what God has declared to be true about you. No suffering can take away the promise that God has made over you and that awaits you uh, in heaven. Um, So you can rejoice and that takes discipline, doesn't it? Because, I mean, sometimes you can hardly breathe. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what, you know, again, I don't want to be a downer and, and talk about uh, undue suffering, pickles, scabs, or anything. But, I, you know, I, we're all going through something, or we're going to go through something, or we have gone through something. And, and what a comfort. Um, but, it, but it takes discipline. In the midst of that, to remember that God has us. That God has us. The, The reason we're going through it, Peter says, is to test our faith. And I don't think he means that God is testing you to see if your faith is genuine. I think it's much more like Like a long and terrible workout. Where your body, you know, what happens in a workout is that you get broken down a little bit so that you can be built up. You're put to the test in that workout, and your muscles get really sore and tired so that they can be built back up for more strength. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it is uh, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Testing the genuineness of our faith. Uh, not, again, not to try to trick you, not to get you out of the family, but to strengthen your faith. To draw ne- I mean, those suffering times are times to draw near to God. Um, and He, so he affirms them. You haven't seen Him, but you love Him. You, you don't see him now. And you wish you did because that would mean, if you saw Jesus, that would be a, mean an end to your suffering. But you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Um, because you're attaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. All right, now, I feel like I'm talking a lot. P- push, push back, respond. Yes, Josh. Um, in the part about the gold, you had uh, your ESV, right? Yeah, that's probably yeah. the reason. This is the CSV, Christian Version. It says actually, it uh, said it says uh, more, valuable, more valuable than gold, though perishable, is refined by gold. Yes. So it's probably instead of your faith being tested, your faith is being refined. It's being refined, yes. That's, that's yes. Um, an interesting, interesting difference. It means you're still being melted. Well, you, I mean, that, that I, built up again. The, the gold goes, is put in the fire, and the impurities rise to the top, and the dross oh. is, is pulled off so that it is then more pure after that. Exactly. That's the testing that we're talking about, or the refining right. nature of this uh, that he's talking about. But it, let me tell you, that fire's hot. Yeah. It, ain't no, it ain't no fun. And I'm not trying to say, hey, cheer up. Although, I mean, what, I mean Peter, as a sufferer, is saying, look, look up. Right, look up because suffering and that makes us look down. Look up, look at Christ, see what He's doing. Um, I want to skip ahead a little bit. He does. He calls us to be holy. Always, we know, we must remember. We should be living a life that is different in the world around us. A life that is impacted by our faith, but it is never, uh, never. In order to earn God's favor, it is always and only as a response to God's favor. He, he, this is what Peter's saying. You have been declared righteous. He has given you mercy, un- imperishable, unfading, undefiled. Um, but he, is, uh, he says, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on grace. This is the title of this, the class today. Set your hope fully on grace. In other words, your, your ultimate hope isn't in your suffering ending. Your hope is in grace. Now, we want your suffering area. We're going to pray that God will make it end. But ultimately, your hope is on the finished work of Christ, the death and resurrection. There may be a time where I need you to preach that to me. So I hope you will. I hope you will. Um, Let me move ahead a little bit to... um, and there's so much in there. We could just maybe we should have a pre- preaching series on 1 Peter. That'd be awesome. Um, what we uh, let me move ahead to chapter two, and, it, the, and the E100 just has the uh, first 12, 12 verses. But he talks about Jesus as as the Rock. It's interesting, and I've never never thought about this before. Right this second, that Peter, who is the Rock on whom. Uh, Christ is building his church. Is now talking about Jesus as the rock. Maybe we should take uh, something from that. But so he says, put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Think about. Think about, when, when you're. Let's say. Let's say these poor people are being persecuted by. Um, you know they they're not allowed to be in the trade guilds, and so they're they're becoming impoverished because you can't. Buy bricks from people who didn't make bricks out of the trade guild, or whatever it is uh, in the in their culture. Uh, and what happens? You become angry at those people. Uh, you you got you, maybe you become angry at God, or you decide to lie about it. And well, it's, you know, it's just my spouse. It's just not really, you know, I whatever. I don't know. Hypocrisy, envy. Oh, I just wish that I was not, you know, like this. I wish. I, envy is envy is the um, is wishing you had someone else's life. That's what that's what envy is. And, and slander. I'm talking bad about those people. Peter says, put it away. Put it away. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... That's that is, He's actually going to quote the, ver- the verse that he's referring to there, but it's from Psalm 118. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. One stone can't make a house. Right? That's called a cave, I guess. But the... Um, <laughs> It's it's pretty remarkable. We're each rocks on which the church is built, in in a sense. But we are being put together to build a spiritual house in order to home someone, to to receive someone, to provide hospitality, to nurture and welcome them. But we're doing that together. God is placing us and putting us uh, together. Because we're to be a royal priesthood. I mean, this is where people, theologians talk about the priesthood of all believers. You heard that phrase before, the priesthood of all, of all believers? Like, you, we're all to be God's priests, not just me, you know, uh, as an Episcopal priest, or not just the Catholic priest down the road. that We're all a royal priesthood. This is the We all have a ministry. We all stand before God as His representatives. We are ambassadors for Christ in that sense. So, um... As he says, we're here to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So when you serve your church, when you give to your church, when you um, serve your neighbor who's going through a difficult time, when you serve your child who's going through a difficult time, you do it in the name of Jesus, you're offering a spiritual sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So he's quoting now from Isaiah chapter twenty-eight. I'm laying in Zion a cornerstone. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. But then he goes to one of his favorite verses. It's a verse that he quoted uh, in Acts chapter four when he was uh, saying uh, he was under he was brought before the council. He healed a, a man. Uh, a, a lame man and they were brought before the council and they asked him what's happening. And he said, he quoted this verse, the stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. But there actually he says, the, the stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And he actually uh, changes the word for rejected, and he, which means um, not just uh, tossed out, but maligned. Uh, but this is one of his, his verses that he really sees as um, Jesus, How, Jesus is the stone that was rejected. Uh, he's become the cornerstone. What I mean, what is that? It's kind of a it's, a. it's not in Proverbs, but it's kind of proverbial in its in its ring. What, what, um, what does it mean? The cornerstone is probably the most stable yeah. upon which everything, everything else. Is. Is built. Everything else is built on the cornerstone, right? It's it's the first one laid, and every so we're being built in a spiritual house, stones stacked up, right? He's the He's the cornerstone. But the builders rejected it. Who are the builders? I guess the Israel. Yeah. And I don't mean the Jews down the road, although they I guess they have too, but these, these Jews specifically who rejected Jesus and crucified him has become the cornerstone. And it's it's um if you read it in Psalm 118, and I really encourage you to, it's just saying this is, uh, it's remarkable, it, and it is marvelous in our eyes to see God taking that which has been cast out and brought in. It's just, it's proverbial. Saying this, is, this is kind of how it works. This is what God is, is doing. And Jesus actually becomes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That, that, but in other words, if He's not the cornerstone, then he, you trip over Him. I mean grace is kind of offensive, what do you mean? I'm not like standing on my own two feet. What do you mean? yeah you, know, you get in but you don't deserve it like that that's kind of offensive and, and, and people reject it outright it's unjust it's unfair it, it, it's grace is is kind of scandalous on one side the back side it's glorious beautiful well don't you think it's, it's- Grace is sort of helping you to humble yourself that you want to have the positive side. Grace is, uh, Joyce said, don't you think that grace is helping you to humble yourself so that you want to have the positive side. I think that's the fruit of it. But I think that for those who have not received grace, and that's what that's our that's our parable today, right? I mean, that's, that's the... Um, Even if you receive it, you have flaws. You're not perfect. So right. Therefore... But once you've received grace and you have flaws, you know you have a place to bring those flaws. Right. Right. That's and you're thankful. Right. And it, hum- it does hum... You know, that's one of the things I say in my sermon. The gospel humbles you to the dust, but it also at the same time exalts you. At the same time. And so you never have to worry. Um, Jesus is no longer a, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, but He is the chief cornerstone of your life. Uh, the thing on which your life is built, the thing on which the the church is built. Interesting, again, I gotta. I want to do some thinking about that. I'm sure I'm not the first one to think of it. I, I, I'm sure that there are great articles about Peter, the rock, now referring to Jesus as a rock um, on which we're built. But you are, a, this is very, um, he's, he is, as we look at, uh, go into verse 9 and 10, he is looking, he is using, um, Old Testament language. He is using language that describes the people, the chosen people of God. You, church, are a chosen people. A chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. That you, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people. Remember they were the Gentiles? And this is uh, echoes, I think it's Isaiah. I can't remember. It's Isaiah, but I can't remember. Uh, you are not my people, is what he says. Now you are my people. I think Hosea also. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's a transition. And and I think it's important for us as Christians never to forget where we have come from. I mean, even if you even if you have the most bland, boring Christian conversion story. I've always been a Christian. There was just yeah. I just kind of realized one day it's my own faith and not my parents' faith. It's still a dramatic story of a of a non-believer become, coming into faith in the living God. A sinner being rescued. What's that? It's an awakening. It's an awakening. And so we are. Um, it is a a a moment coming out of the darkness into His marvelous light. Um, because once we had not received mercy, that's the Pharisee, I thank you God that I'm not like other men, and the tax collector, have mercy on me a sinner. And Jesus says the only one that goes just way justified is the tax collector. Because all he needs, the only thing we need to have before God is need. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of, of my early Christian life uh, really thinking that my number one task as a Christian was to, um, not need grace is is to um, try to get good enough so that God, Jesus could give grace to somebody else who needed it more i i don 't know exactly but and it, and it basically drove me crazy um, it I was so depressed because i couldn 't get good enough. i couldn 't be as good as I knew I need, ought to be but you already were I was. But I didn't know, I didn't know that. I, didn't, I mean, I wanted to be good for Him. Interestingly, grace, I think, creates. I mean, please God, I hope I'm better now than I was then, overtly. But I know I'm much more aware of the reality of my sin than I was then. And so I feel like that, that grace can, keeps you humbled and exalted at the same time. Parting shots. Parting shots. By that I don't know I don't know about you. This feels like it's been a fast forty minutes. You're like yeah. some of you are like, I just wish you'd quit talking. But um <laughs> I want to go watch the game. Um what uh yeah, parting shots. Can you, can you be can you be saved? Oh, I don't know how to put this. Can you can somebody actually come to God and then fall away, but they still have the gift of grace, we know, right? Because they initially, or is there has to be some kind of want to make, to be different? Are you asking if someone can lose their salvation? Yes. I mean, obviously there's different opinions about that. I don't think so. Because of what I just said, that that we're caged by grace. Um... I, it does make me wonder, because I certainly have known people who are very heavily involved and fall away. It makes me wonder if they ever were actually saved. Yes. Yes. And, I, and, and, you know, it could it certainly happen to me. And I, and I just, you know, that's why we always want to look at Jesus and, and never take our eyes off the cross. Because, I mean, I'm just as capable as anybody to falling fallen away. That's what but I've happens. known, I mean, I think, does, I think it does call into question, what, what was it about in the first place? Yeah, Katie. That's part of the argument with the what is the unforgivable sin? You know, same, same kind of thing. Yeah. When we, um, yeah, we were reading verses, uh, verse 9 especially, uh, this morning I got the picture of us at this point being back in the garden of Eden, hmm. walking with God. Yeah. Yeah, back in the garden or in the New Jerusalem. Walking with, walking with God. All right, I gotta go to church. So love you, and we'll see. Next week is uh, James. Buckle up, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just James, 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 the book of James. Oh yeah. Fall back. Fall back.